turn to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. And I entitled the message this evening, O Come to the Table to Eat. O Come to the Table to Eat. And let's read Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewed out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has set out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let her turn in. Let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat my bread and drink my wine. I have mixed wine. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I pray, Father, for this text, Lord, and that you administer to each one of us, Lord. Father, as we dig into your word and we pray in Jesus' name again, amen. Well, as I was looking at this text, it kind of it kind of seems like a strange text. You could say, you know, wow, you know. Boy, she is really busy bee, you know, this woman. But here it's not really talking about a woman here in the text, as also in other places of the Bible. This is what is called uh, poetic language. It's speaking in a poetic way. The Hebrew language is written in different genres. And a, a genre is a category of uh, artistic composition. We see this in music, in literature, and it's just different styles of subjects on literature. We also see this word genre in the music industry. You know, a lot of people say, I like the genre of, of country music, or I like heavy metal, or I like uh, classic rock, R&B, and, you know, Christian contemporary, or I like hymns. So that, that would be called a genre. So the Bible is written such a way, too, that there are genres in the Bible. So in the Hebrew language, uh, it is written in different genres. For example, we have historical narratives, which would be the book of, of Genesis. We would have also first and second Kings and Samuel. Those are historical narratives. OK, we also have the genre of law and code. That would be like uh, Leviticus. You know, all the laws and uh, Deuteronomy. We have what is called the wisdom literature or the Proverbs. And we have the poetry like Psalms and Job would be in those categories. We have uh, prophecy, uh, which would be Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We have the major and minor prophets. And we also have the New Testament. Uh, anyone give me the New Testament pro prophetical book? Revelation, very good, Bible student. And then we have the Gospels. We have the Gospels, but we also have the letters, the epistles written for our instructions. So there are different genres. And so this one book here is one of, that uses poetical language or pictorial language. You know, very picturesque so that we could understand. Let me give you an example. Uh, Psalms chapter 91, verse 4, speaking of God, it says, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you shall take refuge. His truth 
shall be your shield and your buckler. Also, remember when Jesus was going into Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 27, verse 37. Remember, he said, oh, Jerusalem, remember as he was weeping, uh, he, he was weeping. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So again, this is poetic language. Language. So God isn't a bird. We know God isn't a bird. You know, he doesn't have feathers. He doesn't have wings. So in this way, he's giving us a pictorial language to kind of see a, a major point so that we would get a picture of how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. So those pictures um, give us an idea. So the pro- so Proverbs is considered a book of wisdom, but it still uses this pictorial or po- uh, poetic language. This morning, as I was teaching Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11, uh, speaking of God's wisdom, at the very end, uh, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11, it says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that one may desire cannot be compared to her. And, and so somebody asked me, well, is it, is, am I reading it wrong? Isn't it God a, a man? But we got to understand, we're, we're talking about pictorial language. So knowing the genre when we read the word of God is very important. So, so nobody, um, we, we really can't, uh, we ha- really have to be careful when it comes to reading into the text. Again, this is very poetic language. And here it's put, putting an emphasis on a desire. You know, I, when I think of, of, of when it says her, and it, it's speaking of a desire to have something. So here in these six verses, we have a, a lot here. And if we're just reading on the surface and not seeing the pictorial language, I'm, th- I'm thinking, man, what are you talking about? You know, it's because I went over my notes again and I was like, really? But then as I began to dig, I began to understand as be- as we seek the Lord, our understanding will open up. So here in the very first line, it says of God's word, God's wisdom has built her house. So simply applying God's word uh, into our lives, this wisdom will provide to build us up like a house. This wisdom that we should desire will cause us to be built up. Acts chapter 20 verse 32 says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And give you an inheritance among those who are being sanctified. So God's word says it will build you up. His wisdom will build us up. So that's why I encourage believers to be in the word. Why? Because if we're not in the word, we're not being built up. And here in the text in Acts 20, 32, again, it says to give you an inheritance. He wants us to know what to expect as his children. So I need to be in the word to know what kind of inheritance I'm going to receive from the Lord. But also it says to sanctify me. And that word is a cleansing word. And we see Jesus use this word right before he went to the cross. He told the disciples in John 17, 17. 
He says, sanctify them by the word, the word, my word is truth. So there's a cleansing that happens to us when we're reading the word. So I got to ask myself, am I a stinky Christian or am I being cleansed? Am I being washed by the word of God? So, you know, I'm using very pictorial language, right? To demonstrate if we're not in the word, we're probably a little stinky and a little bit of this world on us. We got to look back at the culture in which Jesus was. Remember Jesus in John John chapter 13 got on his knees and started washing feet. You know, the times are kind of like what we see now. You know, uh, people had a certain sanitary washing. They would wash their feet because they didn't have no uh, sewer system. So they would walk in the dirty streets and before they would come into home, we at my own house, we take our shoes off, but they would wash your feet to come in and you would wash to eat. And so uh, the culture was very pictorial. So it gives us an understanding. But Jesus, you know, we have to understand that Jesus uses this language or the Bible uses this language that we would understand. I need to be cleansed. Am I in the word? You know, hey, are you in the word, bro? You've been in the word, you know, sister. So I want to encourage you, spiritually speaking, to be in the word because it's a cleansing agent for us internally. And that word sanctified simply means to cleanse, to purify from guilt and sin and to renew the soul. So there's something very significant for that inner work that God does inside. It's like, you know, think of my house. If I, if I never clean the inside, you know, it, it looks all nice on the outside, but inside it's pretty bad. So in outwardly, we might look fine, but internally, God wants to do a great work of his spirit in our hearts. In Psalms chapter 119, verse 49, remember, it says, remember the word to your servant upon which uh, his word, which caused me to hope. So God's word will promise to build me up, build up my hope, my hope. When things are so bad, I need hope. And God promises through his word to give me hope. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So again, uh, me being in the word as a Christian will build me up with hope and faith and spiritual uh, renewal and strength. So the word is very important to our lives. And Paul also described his labor in ministry Uh, Like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, he said, According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each take heed how he builds on it. Are you being built up? Are you the only way we're going to be built up? Christian is being the word. You know, um, we could do all the muscle things. You know, I could read all the books, but the word is the only thing that's going to cause you to grow spiritually. Devotional books are fine, but my primary reading as a Christian should be the Bible and it should be daily. I want to encourage you to do so. So secondly, here in the second part of verse one, it says she has hewed out her seven pillars. When I looked out, looked out at the, looked at this text, it shows that God will provide a sure foundation of stability. 
You see, pillars are a, uh, a symbol for a building's stability. It holds it up. The, you know, these massive seven pillars, he says, will hold up the building. And so God is saying, you know, I'm going to build you up when you're in the word. And one of the neat things is uh, pillars of stability. The word seven here, you know, speaks of perfection. It speaks of perfection. God's word is perfect, converting the soul. We see this in Psalms 19, verse 7. It will transform us. But the word hewed out, I think of, I think of a quarry, you know, a rock quarry. You know, think of, if, when I hear that word, I think of excavation, excavation, drawing out out of the raw materials. You know, they dig, they dig for diamonds out of raw material. They, they dig them out of the earth and they, they bring up something precious. And that's the same thing with us. You know, who is perfect? God. And God, perfect God, wants to do a a hewing out of us. He wants to draw out and make something beautiful in us. But we have to be in the word. He said, I will hew you out. Think of stability and his perfect work in our lives. You know, I, I I need to say, Lord, work in me. But you see, he expects me to be in the word. It's all it's all interconnected. But here in verse 2, it says here, she had slaughtered her meat and she had mixed her wine. She also furnished her table. Now again, you know, we're thinking on the surface. I'm thinking, man, it seems kind of weird. But here God will provide, God's word through his wisdom will provide spiritual nourishment. God wants to nourish you. He wants to feed you. And here God's word, God's wisdom will provide joy. Wine speaks of joy. Now, this is no justification for Christian drinking. Again, it's just pictorial language. You know, a lot of people will see, uh, oh, well, wine. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I should be sipping. No, it's very pictorial language here. And wine in, in the scripture always speaks of a joy. God wants to give you an inward and lasting joy. In your life. But here also God in his wisdom. Will provide. You a personal place. Furnished just for you to partake. You know it says right here. A a table right. A a table uh, furnished for you. God will feed you personally. Isn't that beautiful. That God, you're so special that God would speak to you personally. Not like me, like you. He knows what you need. He knows the joy you need. He knows the work you need. And he knows the spiritual nourishment you need. And he says, I will provide a place. Wisdom will, she will provide a place for you, a furnished place just for you to partake and enjoy. Man, that's beautiful. But here in verse 3, it says, She has sent out her maiden. She cries out in the highest of the cities. Again, God's word will provide for us the very best of places. You know, I, I think of, of, of a good restaurant. And, you know, I think of, I've never been there, but Castaways in, in Burbank. It's up on the mountains. You know, they, they're high and lofty. You have to go up there. Right. You know, so the best places, how much better dining do we have than that from the Lord? You know, to be at his table, 
Man, there's no other higher place. No greater wisdom but in before the throne of God. But here it also says that she sends out her maidens and they cry in the, in the city. And, and really, if you take a look at it, is that, that God will serve us by the careful and loving hands of his servant. When I think of maidens, I think of something delicate and loving and caring. That God, is, that God loves you so much that He's going to take care of you. He's going to be gentle and give you what is best for you. And it's going to be well taken care of. You know, I slop together a meal. You know, I slop it together, man. I make a sandwich. And, but my wife makes a sandwich, man. And it's, everything's cut just right. And it's got all, the layers right, man. It, you know, me, throw it together. But here God is using very pictorial language and saying, I'm going to give you the very best. By good and gentle and delicate hands, just for you. This is so, you're so precious, I'm going to give you this. So special. And it's his word. That's how he wants to deliver it to our table with careful hands. And just like chapter 8 that I mentioned earlier, she cries out for you to partake. So God's wisdom is crying out for us to partake. Come on, take, take, come down, sit at the table, eat. I got all this for you. That's our God. What an amazing God. But verses four through five says here, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks, let him say, come, eat of my bread and drink of my mixed wine. And again, again, this is an invitation an invitation to his family. To, he's beckoning us to come. Let us turn in here. Come. Let us eat. Let us drink the mixed wine. Come and enjoy. Come and partake what God's wisdom will provide for you. You see, he will give you a right balance of that which is natural. He'll minister to you in the natural areas of your life and also the supernatural areas of your life. So in closing, in verse 6, it says, after all this, after all this, and, and when, I, when I think of all this that we just talked about from verses 1 through 5, all this, I think of a menu. I think, man, God just laid out a big menu for us. And, you know, I'm going to go over them. Number one, He promises to build you up like a house on solid foundation. Number two, He promises to build up your faith, your hope, your spiritual life. Number three, he promises to provide you a sure foundation of stability. He promises to provide you an inward work through the perfect work of his Holy Spirit. He promises, he, he wants to uh, take your life like it's a quarry and, and the inner depths of you. He wants to hew out those raw materials within you. And he wants to make something beautiful in our lives. That is awesome if we come to his table. You see, he's the only master craftsman that is qualified to do such an amazing work. And he beckons us again to come. Come to me. Come partake of my wisdom. Come sit down. Here's the menu. Here's the menu. He promises, number four, to provide us spiritual nourishment. Number five, he promises to provide you an unmatched, unthinkable joy. 
that nobody could take away from you. Number six, he promises to provide you a place furnished just for you personally to partake and enjoy his goodness. Man, that's great God. And number seven, he promises to provide for you the very best portions from up on high to heaven to give to us. And he beckons us to come. That's on his menu. And with that, he promises to provide it all by the hands of careful, loving servants. We're to be careful, loving servants. Just serve. So we see this great, after this great menu that we just, I just mentioned here. There are conditions. There are conditions to eating at the Lord's table. Verse 6 says, forsake foolishness and live. Forsake foolishness and live. And go in the way of understanding. Then he will provide you with unmatched unity and fellowship with him. You'll dine at his table. And his spirit will prompt to help you. And just the work that God does in, in you will overflow in your life, out of your life. The work God does in us should outflow into our works. So I want to encourage you, as the text says, come to the table. Come to the table. God is saying, come, partake of my wisdom. Do it daily. You know, we eat three square meals, right? How about spiritual nourishment? God has so a lot for us. I just hear the menu is here. I just have to sit down and partake. So I want to encourage you to be in the word, be in prayer, be in fellowship. And lastly, the last verse I'll use this evening, Psalms 34, 8. God is saying, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. Isn't that wonderful? So I want to encourage you. If you're not in the word, pray, Lord, change my heart. Give me a heart to be in your word. You know, and I'm going to encourage you. If it's just a paragraph a day, go consistently. I mentioned earlier, if you haven't started Bible reading systematically, start in the gospel of John, read a paragraph, sit at his table. Okay. He knows what you're, you need. You know, one of the things we really have to do is don't pick and choose what you want to eat. Let him serve you. Let him give you what you need because he knows what you need more than we know what we need. So that's why we encourage going through the text from Genesis to Revelation. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't started reading, start reading in the Gospel of John and then work your way through Acts and the Epistles and Revelations and then we'll go and then go into Genesis. But I want to encourage you, if you have questions, let us know. We're here to help you. We're here to get you along and we're here to provide Uh, with loving, delicate hands and serve you as well. So I want to encourage you with that. Let's pray, church. Father, I love you. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. Father, all that you provide for us, Lord, this, this beautiful menu, Lord, of you through your wisdom, how it calls out to us. 
how you desire to do a work of your spirit in us and build us up. Father, how you want to stir up our faith and build it up in our hope in our spiritual life. Father, we pray, Lord, as we're in your word, that you would give us a hunger for it. And Father, that we would be stable in such an unstable world. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to, to, to till the soil of our hearts, that you would quarry out anything that shouldn't be in there, Father, in, in, within us, and that you would make something beautiful in us, Lord, through the work of your Holy Spirit. And Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're so good to us, Lord. We ask that you would bless your people, that you would stir us up and transform us, by the renewing of our minds, Lord. And Father, may we see the evidence of the work of your Spirit. So, Father, I I, I pray this, we read this, but Father, I'm looking with expectancy to see a work in those at home and, and those here who are listening, Lord. May we be wise. May we do those things, Lord, that you called us to do. May we sit at your table, not only... Uh, look at your the menu that you have before us. But Lord, may we be partakers of all that you have for us, Lord. So again, Father, we look to you with great expectancy for that perfect work in us. Have your way. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. Hey, everybody. I want